Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, and mine to lead me through the night. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for joining me for this message. Last weekend, as I was reading, syndicated columnist by the name of David Brooks wrote that the age of coddling is over. He explained that over the past decades, a tide of safetyism has crept over American society. He references a book, The Coddling of the American Mind, where the authors explain it's a mentality that whatever doesn't kill you makes you weaker. And the goal is to eliminate any stress or hardship a child might encounter so he or she won't be wounded by it. He explains we've seen then a wave of overprotective parenting, parents cutting back on unsupervised outdoor play because their kids might do something unsafe. He references another article, The Anxious Child and the Crisis of Modern Parents, where author Kate Julian says that parents are now more likely to accommodate children's fears. For instance, accompanying a nine-year-old to the bathroom because he's afraid to be alone, preparing different food for a child because she won't eat what everyone else eats. According to Brooks, it's been a disaster. The overprotective impulse doesn't shelter people from fear. Rather, it makes them unprepared to deal with the fear that inevitably comes. And so suicide rates are way up. Depression rates have skyrocketed, especially for girls. In fact, one author notes a staggering number of doctor visits now end with a prescription for an anti-anxiety med like Xanax or Valium. In the article, Brooks compares this coddling to the rigors of medical school and the high-caliber person that's developed in those challenging requirements. He summarizes with these remarks, I'm reminded of the maxim that excellence is not an action, it's a habit. Tenacity is not a spontaneous flowering of good character. It's doing what you were trained to do. It manifests not in those whose training spared them hardship, but in those whose training embraced hardship and taught students to deal with it. Then Brooks circles back to COVID-19. The virus is another reminder that hardship is woven into the warp and woof of existence. Training a young person is training her or him to master hardship, to endure suffering, and by building something new from the wreckage, redeem it. Those are piercing words. From another syndicated columnist, I read this last week. This is the first time since World War II that all Americans have been asked to sacrifice. The nation has seen other conflicts, health and financial crises, but not any that required every single American to sacrifice in some way. And so that's why we keep lauding the greatest generation. World War II touched everyone, demanded sacrifices from everyone, and now here's our chance to emulate them. 
While nearly half a million Americans made the ultimate sacrifice during that war, there were men and women back home who helped support them and went without. All of the Americans at home planted victory gardens or they bought more than $100 billion worth of war bonds. They baked war cakes. They went without pantyhose or sugar. Women ended up leaving home and riveting in America's factories and shipyards. And now, once again, we've got a global threat impacting every single American. Some have lost loved ones. Some have lost paychecks. Some have lost businesses they spent years building. At this point, 26 million have jobs vanished in the last five weeks. It's happening everywhere in London and in New York City, from Bondi Beach to Waikiki Beach, the Eiffel Tower to the Macau Tower. Everything is shut down. Hardship and sacrifice. Described in these articles, one writer reminds us that hardship and sacrifice build character and determination. The other reminds us that these things are noble when they're in support of the whole. I would tell you that in in both of these views, I find myself personally challenged. How much of what is happening right now is merely uncomfortable? During a recent faith group discussion, my wife asked her group, Once this is all over, what will you do first? What do you miss the most? I would ask, if we could travel back to the middle of January, what would you like to do? Now, the answer to that question reflects the true depth of an individual's challenge. Seriously, what are your current challenges? You know, the busy people, the out-and-about people are feeling trapped right now. Maybe some are frustrated because their internet's slow or because websites are overloaded. I wonder how many have been aggravated because of limited grocery selection and favorite brands are out of stock. For many, a typical daily routine has been disrupted. I know there are, there are some more difficult challenges. You can't share doctor visits with family. There's no going to the hospital to visit loved ones limited memorial attendances. Certainly, these are not easy circumstances. I know personally. Like others, my retirement account lost 20% in 30 days. But you know what? In 2019, it gained 16%. Net loss of 4%. And let's be frank, having a retirement account places me in the top half of Americans, and, and worldwide comparison, I'm a rich man. Yes, there are people around us who are truly struggling. Some have been left out of the government's attempts to help. I'm not belittling their genuine struggle, but after reading about the greatest generation of World War II on one hand and then coddled safetyism on the other hand, I have to wonder which one best describes me. I know that some are anxious about an uncertain future. And you know what? I've shared many recent messages providing biblical response to that anxiety. But today, right now, I wonder, am I living in dire circumstances? Do I have a place to live? 
Do I have shelter? Is there food in my refrigerator and cupboards? I mean, really, have I joked about gaining a few pounds while staying home and safe? Am I healthy? Do I have enough money to pay for internet and streaming services? Am I able to order groceries online and have them loaded into my car or even easier delivered to my doorstep? Am I blessed with enough money that I'm stockpiling household paper products and cleaners? You know, when I think about those things, I've got to wonder, how much today am I really suffering? When friends and family call to check in and ask how we're getting along, I typically reply like this. My only complaints are those of a spoiled American. A few things are difficult, some are inconvenient, but mostly I've been made uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because I'm being required to change habits that I'd really rather not change. I'm forced to change some traditions. I'm required to adjust and adapt. And these make me uncomfortable for a couple of reasons. One is this. I don't like to change. I mean, if I did, it would be easy to diet and easy to exercise. Number two, if I must change, I don't like being required to do so. And so in today's COVID situation, I am uncomfortable. But you know, just wait a minute. If you set COVID aside, you set government actions aside, if we can for a moment forget about politics and the Constitution, changing traditions, adjusting, adapting, even against my preferences, shouldn't followers of Jesus be very good at adapting? Discipleship is lifelong adapting. It's lifelong adjustment. I mean, let's face it. Jesus makes us uncomfortable. In Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Matthew 10, Jesus, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus called for followers. Beyond recognition, beyond belief, Jesus expects following. And also, he makes it known that a cross is involved. Soon he would carry one up Golgotha's hill and be hung on it there to die. Crosses are heavy, they're cumbersome, they're humbling, they're painful. You know, Jesus was no pretender. He didn't candy coat reality. Following Jesus is uncomfortable. I was just 12 years old when I first worked construction. It was over the summer, and I spent a week or two on the job with my Uncle Phil. He was a a paint contractor, and he worked on new construction. My first week on the job was particularly difficult. I painted basement staircases all week long. 
basements were unfinished and the staircases were unfinished two by twelves. So Phil took me into that first basement. He helped me place out drop claws. He gave me a paintbrush and some paint and gave me instructions and set me loose. He came back regularly. He was going to check on my progress and point out areas for improvement. At some point, I began questioning Phil's instructions. Not how to do something, but why even do it? And then, get this, I, I recall arrogantly cutting him off as he was trying to guide me. Finally, in frustration, he stared me down and said, Okay, what? What was I going to say? How are you supposed to do this? Here's me. After mere hours of painting stairwells, I proceeded to expound my 12-year-old insights to my successful contractor, Ungle, who was also my boss. You know what? He wasn't impressed. Forty years later, I can still see his face. No, he said, that's not how you're going to do it. Are you ready to listen to me? Uncomfortable, for sure. A few years later, I was in a freshman in my first university calculus course. The previous year in high school, I was one of my teacher's best pupils. I rarely studied. I rarely took a book home. I aced my calc class. But in college, in the new environment, in a room full of best pupils in high school, I struggled big time. In fact, I failed tests, plural, uncomfortable. You know, in both of those situations, had I left the job or dropped the class, I wouldn't have learned the skills that both uncomfortable situations provided. I wanted to know calculus. I wanted to please my Uncle Phil. And though it's not easy to confess, discomfort can indeed be good. Jesus makes me uncomfortable. In previous messages in this series, we've noted Jesus' many blessings in disciples' lives. It's been messages that Jesus is the door. He gives access to salvation. Jesus is life, rich, satisfying, eternal life. Jesus is the true vine, our eternal source. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's ever present. He is here. Those messages, those truths are absolute. They are wonderful. But they are not the complete picture of Jesus. There is more to him beneath the surface. As we dig deeper into Scripture, we discover Jesus has an uncanny ability to make his followers uncomfortable. And here's why. Jesus is teacher and Lord. Once he finished washing his disciples' feet, Jesus told them this in John 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Jesus is teacher. 
instructor or in Jesus' time, rabbi. A teacher has superior knowledge, superior experience, so much so that in every aspect of life, Jesus knows the best practices for spiritual and natural success. Jesus is teacher. Perhaps more importantly, Jesus is Lord. He's both teacher and Lord. Now, a teacher explains, gives us the the what, the why, the how, you know, provides understanding. But the Lord proclaims. He declares. And when he does so, followers are expected to act whether or not they understand. In the Gospels, a Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his young servant who was paralyzed in bed. When Jesus replied, I'll come and heal him, the centurion answered like this in Matthew 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, Jesus honored the soldier's faith and healed the servant from afar. But to our point, the centurion soldier understood authority. As authority, when Jesus proclaims, his disciples are expected to act. Now, Jesus' instruction and authority aren't always easy to accept. Sometimes sacrifice is required. For the followers of Jesus, I'll use the word of Brooks, the age of coddling is over. A quick review of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, make the truth obvious. In one case, a rich young leader engages Jesus in conversation. This young man shares his spiritual resume, and Jesus then says to him, you know, that's all good now. Sell everything you own and give it to the poor and follow me. Hmm. Uncomfortable, to say the least. One day, Jesus walks into the temple and he found it more like a common market rather than a place of holy reference. And Jesus starts turning over tables and upending carts and he ran the vendors out and then he proclaims this. The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. I don't know about you, but if I'd been in the temple that day, I'd have found that situation uncomfortable. After Jesus spoke about his own crucifixion, his, his number one apostle, Peter, he pulls Jesus aside and says, listen, I want to correct you. It shouldn't the way it should be. And Jesus turned to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, that's uncomfortable. There's a large gathering where Jesus has been teaching. And in a pause, parents bring their children close to Jesus. And his closest 12 decide to shoo the children away. But Jesus corrects them and says, let the children come to me. Uncomfortable for the 12 who thought they understood the operations. It was not long into a conversation with a woman beside a well that Jesus busts out with this. You've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Well, that's uncomfortable. 
Yet, when Jesus walks into a gathering of men who are determined to stone an adulterous woman, seeing him, she likely thought he's just another judge with a stone in hand going to join the others. But instead, he runs off the band of stoners and graciously declares to the woman, I won't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Unexpected for her, uncomfortable for those who plan to take her life. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, boy, they thought they had this whole faith thing all packed, organized, boxed, buttoned up. And then Jesus made them uncomfortable and said, hypocrites, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Indeed, when following Jesus, the age of coddling is over. Now back to that, that one sentence in John's Gospel, the 13th chapter. Jesus said, you call me teacher and Lord. You say well, for so I am. Jesus is teacher and Lord. Who he is, is certain. Yet in that sentence, I want you to recognize that Jesus noticed the disciples' involvement. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say well. So the question for you and I is this, will Jesus be these for me? Will I welcome him in my life as teacher and Lord? Will I invite a, a lifetime of adapting and adjusting to his design and his desire? Listen, if you've not talked to Jesus about this, now is the time. Following Jesus requires this surrender. We ought to say things like, I, I surrender my life and spirit to your guidance and understanding. I I give my mind to learn about you, Jesus. I surrender my will to your authority. I place my life into your loving and wise hands. You know what? If you haven't prayed like that in a while, now is the time. In fact, pause this video and pray right now. Talk to Jesus right now. He wants to be teacher and Lord in every life. And having surrendered to Jesus and committed ourselves, I wonder, how do we then actually live surrendered lives? When he's my teacher and Lord, what is that, what's that look like in the day-to-day? -day? In Jesus' day, those who called him teacher they followed him to listen to his teacher. They found out where he was going to be and they went there. They sat on lawns and grassy hills and they listened to his teaching. They pursued him. When Jesus is a teacher and Lord in our lives, we will do the same. In James chapter 1, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. 
You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Genuine followers look carefully into God's word. Right here, we pursue the teaching. We chase it down. We listen for it. Here's some things we can do. Read the whole Bible, not just favorite parts or easy sections. I I challenge you to broaden your understanding by reading the new and the unfamiliar. If you've not read the prophets, read the prophets. If you've not read the first five books, read the first five books. Read the whole book. Here's another challenge. Take a small section and read it repeatedly and read it slowly. Rather than just glancing at this mirror, look closely. Get a long, good look and compare it to your lives. And a third thing, discuss what you're learning with someone else. Discuss it at home. Find out their understanding. Compare it to your own. Discuss it at work with someone. Open up and invite interaction. Discuss it in a faith group. By and large, this word, learning it, following it, Applying it helps me to maintain my surrender to Jesus as teacher and Lord. As I respond in this time of what's going on with the world and what's going on with the Word. In World War II, they embraced sacrifice for the greater good. There are times when this book It just flat makes me uncomfortable. There are times when the things that Jesus says put me on the spot. There are times when he calls me to actions as my authority and Lord that my human nature just doesn't want to give in. But I pray for the attitude of those World War II generation. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to surrender for the greater good of the kingdom in my life. I pray that we all do that as we live faith each and every day. Read the word. Read all of it. Get a small portion. Spend a lot of time with it. And talk about God's word. Let him be teacher and Lord in your life. Until next week, the Lord be with you. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. Oh